You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. It's just been a little over 24 hours since we landed in Corpus Christi, but my wife and I have had a wonderful time. And to thank you, Pastor Che, wherever he went. Maybe, oh, there he is. Back, I thought you went out to have a smoke or something. But anyway, so <laughs> calm your nerves a little bit before. But uh, thank you for inviting us to come, okay? And uh, thank you, Heritage Baptist Church, for all of your hospitality and, and your warm welcome. Brother Ogdi said it well this morning. Uh, of course, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that. And it just feels like family. And you don't get that in every church you go to, so it's a blessing. And I thank you so much. We thank you for the comfortable room. Uh, beautiful place over there. Never stayed in one of those before, but uh, it beats the last place we stayed. Uh, on Christmas night, we went to see her dad. He, he uh, had COVID pneumonia. Well, we didn't stay with her dad, but we went to see him. He had COVID pneumonia and had just gotten out of the hospital. We stayed in a, what did we say, a quality. We got 60-something bug bites between the two of us, 60-something bug bites. And so I called corporate the next day and told them about it. But anyway, uh, so very, very nice place. And if that's what your church, where no bug bites yet, amen. So, but a very nice place. And I said this morning, uh, whoever's responsible for putting that basket together, uh, it just, you know, it, and I said it this morning, the best thing about that basket, it only had four pieces of fruit in it. Uh, the rest of it was chocolate and candy and, and uh, beef jerky and the good stuff in life. Potato chips, you know, you know, the fruit, you know, you can come and go with fruit. But I mean, the other stuff sticks with you. And uh, so it was, uh, it was, a, it's just been a delightful stay. Tremendous group of folk both nights and this morning and good music, good food, and we've eaten too much, and a good fellowship, just had great fellowship with Brother Ogde, a longtime friend now for many years, and then uh, Brother and Mrs. Che, whom we have known now for several years through uh, the college and so forth, so it's just been, it's been wonderful. Thank you, preachers, uh, for coming. I know what it, uh, we host meetings, I know what it means to a host pastor to have uh, preachers come in from a distance, so thank you for coming in, and it's just great to see folks that we've known, and good to see Brother Ferguson. We've supported him for many, many years now in the ministry and the work that he's doing, and so it's just been a delightful time, and thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. doesn't end tonight for you folks at Heritage. Tomorrow night, Brother Ogden will be back, and I hope that you'll be faithful in your place and get every bit of what God has for you during these days. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. One of the blessings of being in this church is to see the, uh, the variety of ages that are here. We have aged people, and that's necessary for a church. We have kids, and that's necessary for a church. If you're going to have any excitement, amen, and uh, kids are a hoot. I'm telling you, I was in, actually in Fort Worth. Uh, many, many years ago, Brother Mickey Hollers was down in Fort Worth, and I preached for him, and I had washed my hands in the bathroom, and I was standing there in the middle of the men's room opening a peppermint candy, and this little tyke, he comes running in, he came right up to my knees, literally, to my knees, almost touching me, looked straight up at me like this, and said, can I have one of those? 
And I said, go ask your mother. She said, yes. And so I, <laughs> I don't know what you do. But uh, I gave him a piece of candy. I couldn't help it, you know. He's quick, amen. And, uh, but maybe there's somebody here tonight and you're trying to figure out exactly what, to, what, at what stage in life you're at. Uh, I heard about when the Lord was in the act of creation and uh, he created the dog. And he said, now dog, he said, here's what I got for you. I want you to sit on the front porch of the house. I want you to bark at everybody that goes by. Just give them fits. Don't let them pass without just howling at them. And for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog thought about that. And he said, Lord, that's an awful long time to be sitting on the porch barking at people. How about if I do it for half that time? Do it for 10 years and give you back 10. And he said, okay. The Lord said, that's fine, dog. And then he created the monkey. And he said, now, monkey, your job's quite different. You're going to jump around and do tricks and entertain people, make them laugh and, and enjoy life. And he said, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And he said, that sounds awful, awful hard to do that for 20 years, Lord. I, I like what the dog did. How about I do it for 10 years and give you back 10? And so the Lord said, okay, I did it for him. I'll do it for you. And then he created the cow. And he said, cow, quite different from you. for you. You're going to labor in the sun, cold, winter, doesn't matter, hot sun. You're going to give milk and birth calves and feed the farmer and his family. And for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 60 years. He nearly passed out thinking about all that work to do for 60 years. Thought I better not just, he said, I better not ask only for 10. So he, he said, Lord, how about if I take 20 of those and give you 40 back? And he said, okay. And then he created man. And he said, man, you got it made. He said, you're going to eat, sleep, drink, play, get married. And for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the man was quick on his feet and he thought, boy, that sounds like fun. He said, Lord, how about I take my 20 and the 40 you gave the cow and the 10 you gave the monkey and the 10 you gave the dog and that'll give me a lifespan of 80 years. And the Lord said, okay, I'll do it, but don't, just don't forget, you asked for it. And so that's why for the first 20 years of our life, we eat and drink and sleep and play and get married. And then for the next 40 years, we labor in the sun to feed our family. The next 10 years, we jump around and do tricks to entertain the grandchildren. And the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everybody that goes by. So, so you've got to figure out where you are about what's going on right now, amen. So what's going on in life, uh, amen, amen. Merry heart doeth good like a medicine, right? You know, some of you old timers will remember Reader's Digest. It was it a quarterly, monthly magazine, Reader's Digest. I think it was monthly, I think. Used to have a little section in there called Laughter, the Best Medicine. But it didn't start with Reader's Digest, started with the old book, amen. Mary Hart doeth good like a medicine. This church, their policy is to stand for scripture reading. So if you're able, let's, let's stand together in honor of God's word. Beginning in verse number six, Matthew 26. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel 
shall be preached in the whole world. There shall also this that this woman hath done been told for a memorial of her. I want to draw your attention to verse number eight to the question that the disciples said with asked with indignation and the companion passage in John chapter 12 identifies the exact disciple who made this question, who asked this question as Judas. He said, to what purpose is this waste? And I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, just keep wasting away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in church on an off night, if you want to call it that. Thank you for the faithfulness of these people here at Heritage. Lord, for the, for the, for the sacrifice of these folks who have driven to spend an evening on the road and come for the service. God, we didn't assemble tonight to hear from some man. We came tonight to hear from your book. And in order for us to be helped, we need your Spirit's power. So God, would you fill both speaker and listener with your Spirit's unction anointing tonight so that we can take home from, from this service exactly what you have for us. That's my prayer. And I don't deserve for it to be answered in my own merit, but I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. And in his name and for his sake, I pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. As I mentioned, John chapter 12 is a companion passage to this passage. And you can learn much from John 12 about this same story. Lazarus was there sitting at the table with Jesus, maybe enjoying a meal with him. Mar Martha was there serving food, doing what Martha does, did best. Mary was there, and then she was not there, possibly, and then she came back again with a very costly and expensive box of ointment. And the Bible says here in the book of Matthew that she poured it on his head. If you get to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, John said that she poured it on his feet. And for people who are looking for what they think is a contradiction in the Bible, uh, sometimes they'll use that. Well, Matthew said that she poured it on his head, and John said that she poured it on his feet. There's a contradiction. I have no problem with either of those Gospels and the way they recorded it. When you think about the fact that Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, and in the Old Testament when kings were anointed, they were anointed over their head. That's how it happened in the Old Testament. Jesus presented, uh, John, John presented Jesus as the divine son of God. And uh, John was the one whom the Lord loved and sat next to him at the Lord's Supper, you remember. And when you come to the, uh, to the gospel of John and you see Jesus presented as the divine son of God, you see people coming to his feet. So I have no problem with Matthew saying that she anointed his head and John saying that she anointed his feet. He's sitting at the table with Lazarus. The truth of the matter is it probably ran off of his head, down his body and onto his feet. You know, can we just say this tonight? Uh, you're, 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 you're spending futile time if you're looking for a contradiction in the Bible. Just believe what it says and let the Bible compare scripture to scripture because there are, are no contradictions. B.R. Lakin was, had been in heaven, was a great preacher many, many years years ago, one of the most quick-witted preachers you've ever been around in your life. And uh, he talked, he said, about well, being at a meeting one time, and uh, this young preacher came up to him, and he said, uh, Dr. Lakin, he said, I don't believe the Bible uh, to be the exact Word of God. And he said, there's too many contradictions in it. And he said, well, give me one. And the fellow said, well, I, I don't know, there's a bunch of them. And B.R. Lakin said, I don't need a bunch of them, I just need one. Yeah. 
And he said, well, I can't think of one right now. And he said, you're right, son. You can't think, period. You can't think because you don't have a head. He said, your neck stubbed over and you grew some hair on your neck. And that's all you got. You don't, you don't even have a brain. That's what B.R. Lincoln said to him. And uh, absolutely, folks, if you spend your time looking for a contradiction in this book, you're not going to find it. It is God's book. Now, all or some of his disciples were there. Judas was there for sure. Simon's son, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Christ. Now, people, it is not unusual when a certain event takes place for different people who watch that event to come away from it with a different perspective. You take three or four people who see the same thing happen, and they might tell about it in a different way, just from their perspective. And I want to talk tonight, I think from the scripture here, about three perspectives that three different people who were a part of this event saw. I want to talk first of all tonight about what Judas saw. What Judas saw is recorded for us in verse number 8, in the question that he asked Jesus, to what purpose is this waste? Judas saw waste. You know what? The ointment was valuable. The ointment was worth a lot of money. He was right about that. The ointment was expensive. It could have been sold for much and given to the poor. And here it was poured out on the body of Jesus Christ. And Judas said, this was a waste. In fact, he said it with indignation. How in the world could somebody waste such an expensive ointment by pouring it out on some person's body? Judas saw the cost. Judas saw the price. He saw the expense. That's what he saw. That's all he was looking at, the value and the cost. And in his mind, the value and the cost of that ointment had been wasted. Judas saw waste. And unfortunately, folk, there are still a lot of people like Judas around today. They see waste. They ask questions like, why do you waste your life going to church three times a week? Why do you waste your money on Christian education when you already pay property tax for public education? Why do you waste your time at the prison working with men and women who have been incarcerated for crimes? Why do you waste an hour at the nursing home with people who in some cases don't even know you are there? Why do you waste two, three, four years of your life at a Bible college getting an unaccredited degree that the world doesn't recognize? Why do you waste your time listing the kids say Bible verses at King's Kids or Master's Clubs or whatever you have? Why do you waste your time with kids who only ride the bus for what you give them? Why do you waste your life living holy and dedicated to the Lord, separated from this world? Why do you waste your kids' lives taking them to church, keeping things from them? Why do you waste your career teaching in a Christian school when you could be earning three times that much teaching in the state school? Why do you waste 15 to 20 to 25 to 30% of your income giving to that church? Why do you waste your time knocking on doors trying to talk to people who don't want you knocking on their door? Why do you teens waste your time at that church on youth activities and helping around the church when you could be out working at McDonald's making a lot of money? Why do you waste your time of preparing a Sunday school lesson and spending money to teach a class of, of third and fourth grade boys or girls? Why do you haul your family all over the country in a fifth wheel trailer in evangelism 
uh, sometimes not getting enough love offering to make, make it home. Why do you waste your time changing diapers of children in the nursery who are not your own? Why do you waste your time and your life and your, your money as a missionary? trying to take the gospel and other helpful materials to people who don't have any? Why do you waste your life in that small, remote town trying to reach them? I could go on and on and on and on and on. Why do you waste? That's all they see. But folks, can I tell you tonight, there's something, fun, there's something fundamentally wrong, especially if those are Christian people. Something fundamentally wrong with their thinking. They've missed a very important Bible truth. They ask the question, why do you waste your time, your life, your money, your family, your children? It's not our life. It's not our money. It's not our time. They're not our children. It's not our family. All of it belongs to God. That is the underlying principle of stewardship. Everything belongs to God. Every bit of it. And because it belongs to God, because my life belongs to God, because my time belongs to God, because my money belongs to God, because my family belongs to God, because my energy belongs to God, I don't want to waste any of it. Not a bit of it. There are so many things, so many passages in the Bible that teach us about stewardship. But one of the classic examples of stewardship to me is is found in the story of Job. And sometimes we overlook it because we often focus on the the suffering and the trials that Job went through. But think about Job chapter 1. We won't go there tonight for sake of time. But you remember when Satan accused Job falsely. He said, Lord, the only reason he serves you and worships you is because of how you blessed him. He put this hedge and so forth all about him. That's the only reason he serves you. It's an amazing thing what the Lord said, Brother Ogdy. He said, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm paraphrasing now. I said, tell you what I'm going to do, Satan. I'm going to put everything that Job has into the power of your hand. And it wasn't long until Job's camels were gone and his sheep were gone and his donkeys were gone. And his cattle were gone and ten children. You know why, folks? They never were Job's. Never did belong to Job. They belonged to God. Every bit of it. And I'll tell you, we talk, and I'm not saying that we should change our way of talking, but we use terminology like my car, my vehicle, my house, my money, my time, my this and my that. And I'm not saying we necessarily need to change the way we talk as long as underneath it all we understand it's not ours. It all belongs to him. And because it does, we don't want to waste a bit of it. I remember having the privilege to be up in Barrie, Ontario, Canada. Three or four times over the years, I met a fellow at Windsor Hills Baptist Church years and years ago. He was in college there under Brother Vineyard by the name of Brett Pennell. His dad, Leroy Pennell, started a church up in Barrie, Ontario, Barrie, Ontario, Canada. 
And I was invited up there to preach. And I, I remember going for the very first time uh, to preach for Brother Brent Pennell's, uh, uh, Brett Pennell's uh, youth conference. And I told somebody I was going. And they said, oh, man, you won't enjoy Canada. I said, it's dead. There's no life there. Those people are cold and hard-hearted, and they don't say a word. They'll just sit and look at you while you preach. So I kind of had that in my mind. There were two preachers at the youth conference, and I was preaching second that night, and the auditorium was full, I guess three to 400 teenagers just full. And I mean, it was packed, and there was excitement, and there was enthusiasm. And I'm sitting there going, man, I can't believe this. So when I got up to preach, I didn't say hello. I didn't say thank you for inviting me to come. I said, somebody lied to me. And they all went. I said, somebody lied to me. I said it about four times. Somebody lied to me. Somebody told me that Canada was dead and cold and no life and hard-hearted. And man, you folks are on fire. It's an exciting place, honestly. The second time I went there, Brother Cecil Ballard was there. Cecil Ballard was with me. And, we, and there was this fella, he was involved in everything. He was a young adult. He was involved in everything. He was, I think he led, had led the congregational music. He was involved in special music. He was, he was involved in a skit. I mean, just everywhere you looked in that youth conference, that service that night, here was this fella. And finally, at the end of the service, it was all over, standing in the aisle, talking to Brother Pendle, Brother, Brother Brett, and we were just fellowshipping. All of a sudden, I heard a vacuum cleaner start up. I looked back in the back of the auditorium, and here was this same guy pushing a vacuum. And finally, curiosity got the best of me, and I said, Brother Pendle, who is that guy? He's been everywhere in this service. He said, that's Eric. He said, let me tell you Eric's story. Eric got saved some years ago. He's the only one out of his family that's saved. Everybody else is lost. Said he went to engineering school here in Barrie. When he graduated, he was at the top of the class. He had four offers from four different places, good firms that would have hired him immediately at an incredible salary because he was so, such a gifted engineering student. I forget what, what type of engineering it was. He said, but after he got those four offers, he hadn't answered to any of them. He made an appointment with my dad. And he sat down with Brother Pennell, Leroy Pennell, the man that started the church. And he said, Pastor Pennell, he said, you know, I graduated with this degree and I have four offers from these four different companies up here. He said, but you know, I, I was thinking the other day and I was praying the Lord was working on my heart. I know we have a school here. I can teach upper level science. I can teach upper level math. I can teach trigonometry. I can teach calculus. I can teach physics. I can teach chemistry. I can teach advanced math. And I was just wondering if I could be a help to the Christian school here. Brother Pennell said, Eric, he said, man, I, I would love for you to teach here. But he said, son, I, I know I can't pay you anything near what they would pay you. And school's only nine months. And for the three months in the summer, you'd have to, you'd have to supplement your income somehow. And, and Eric said, well, what, how would I do that? He said, well, you'd have to get another job doing something. And, and Eric said, like what? He said, well, he said, you could be the janitor. I'll take it. And here was this young man who had an offer at four of the largest companies, the engineering firms in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, on the table, who walked away from that to teach in a Christian school, having to supplement his income by vacuuming the auditorium. And his parents were livid. They were furious. 
Why did you waste all that time, all that money, throw it all away to go work in a Christian school? Did you got to vacuum the floors to help supplement your income? But ladies and gentlemen, Eric got it. He had it figured out. God had gifted him. God had given him great abilities. God had given him the mental capacity to learn and the opportunity to teach others. It's not Eric's life. It's not Eric's money. It's not Eric's time. It's not Eric's ability. It all belongs to God. Every bit of it. So when your extended family at Christmas times, at Christmas or Thanksgiving time throws that out at you, why are you wasting your life? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you wasting your, your children's opportunities? I wouldn't preach them a sermon like I'm doing to you tonight. But don't let it get you down. You get it. You get it. It's God's time. It's God's money. It's God's life. It's God's energy. And because it is, you don't want to waste a bit of it. What did Judas see? He saw waste. There's a second perspective in this story, though, and it's what Jesus saw, and I love it. In verse number 11, you get a glimpse here. At verse, I'm sorry, the end of verse number 10, you'll get a glimpse here of what Jesus saw. Why trouble ye the woman, for she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. You see, Jesus, me, my, my, me, my, my, my. Jesus saw something in what Mary did that nobody else in that room could see. It was impossible for them to see it because they are not omniscient. But Jesus being the divine Son of God, God the Son, is omniscient, all-knowing. He saw her motive. And he said, what this woman has done, she has done for me. She's done on my behalf. She has done for my name. She has done for my honor. She has done for my glory. She has done for my sake. He saw her motive. I have to have to believe that Mary was overwhelmed with gratitude for what Jesus had done. Because remember the story? Who's sitting at the table with Jesus? Uh-huh. Lazarus? Where had he been just a few days ago? In a cold tomb, a lifeless body for four days. Lord, he's been dead four days. By this time, he stinketh. That's like riding in a, in a van full of teenage boys coming back from somewhere. Amen. <laughs> My goodness. Amen. They don't even have to be dead four days, do they, Brother Rusty? Amen. <laughs> And this time he stinketh. And Jesus had walked up to that tomb and told him to roll the stone away. Mary was standing there. Lazarus, come forth. And out he came, bound with grave clothes, loose him and let him go. And by the way, church, that's a great text to use. You know, when people get saved, God brings them from death unto life. And when they get saved, they got grave clothes. And it's up to the New Testament local church to loose them. And let them go, amen. Get them going for the Lord.
So Mary's sitting there, standing there, watching the, all this scene. Uh, maybe Jesus and Lazarus are sharing a lighthearted moment together, and her brother is laughing and nibbling on some uh, beef jerky, kosher, you know, amen, and uh, everything's good. And, you know, Mary's overwhelmed with gratitude because Lazarus is, is alive, and she realizes that he's alive because of Jesus. And then there's something else, too. Jesus said that Mary had it figured out about what he was going to do. He said, you know, she has, uh, she's done this for my burial. Mary had heard about his coming death, burial, and resurrection. And evidently, unlike some of the other disciples, she got it. She believed it. And so she brought that ointment for the purpose of anointing his body for the burial. So Mary is looking back and Mary is looking ahead and she's grateful for what Jesus had done by raising her brother from the dead. And she's grateful for what Jesus is going to do by going to Calvary and dying and being buried and rising again. And her heart is overwhelmed with love and gratitude and she takes that box and breaks it, pours it on his head, and some, some goofball says, what a waste. And Jesus said, no, no. Let her alone. What she has done, she has done for me, for my honor, my glory, my sake. And church, can I tell you tonight, you labor for the Lord, baby vacuuming the floors, you labor for the Lord in the church nursery. You labor for the Lord in the Sunday school ministry. You labor for the Lord in the youth ministry. You labor for the Lord in the usher ministry. You labor for the Lord in keeping the buildings and the grounds in good shape. And sometimes you think, you know what? Nobody sees anything that I do around here. Nobody notices it. But I want to tell you, somebody always gets it. Somebody never misses it. And that somebody is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you do what you do for Him because you love Him, when you do what you do to honor Him, to glorify Him, to exalt Him, to glorify His name. He never misses your motive. Others might. Others might. Others might criticize, but Jesus never misses it. I love Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward His name, in that ye have ministered, to the saints and do minister. Did you catch what the, what the, what the writer of Hebrews said? God, he's not missed it, which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints. So when we do something on behalf of the local church to help the body, the saints of God here, and we do it because we love Him. God says, you're doing it for me. I see your motive. I see your heart. And I will not miss it. I've got it recorded. I understand what you're doing. God sees your motive. So church, can I just encourage you tonight? Just serve on and honor on and sacrifice on, and love on, and preach, and sing, and teach, and change diapers, and clean the building, and mow the grass, and shake hands, and make meals, and work on projects, and read, and pray, and love your wife, and obey your husband, and teach your kids, and obey your parents, and do it all for Christ. He never misses it. Amen. Never misses it. Every tract you hand out for his glory and his honor, he sees the motive. I love what he said in the Gospel of John. It's recorded. He said, let her alone. You leave her alone. 
So Judas saw waste. Why was this waste made? Jesus saw motive. There was no waste here. It was done for his honor and his glory. The third thing I want to talk about tonight is what Mary saw. She's the one that got the box of ointment. She was the one that took it and broke it over Christ and anointed his body with it. And what did Mary see? Look at verse number 11 with me. Jesus says something very interesting here. He says, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. Now think with me. Here's Jesus sitting at the table with Lazarus in the house of Simon the leper. Will he be there tomorrow? Now we know he wouldn't be, but she didn't know that. Would he be there next week? Would he be there a month from now? Would she ever, don't miss it, have this opportunity again? Would she ever? And she thought, she had to think to herself, I don't know if it'll ever be like this again. Here's an opportunity for me to do something for my Lord. And she seized the opportunity. Now wait. I don't think for one second that Mary stood with that ointment thinking to herself, I'm going to anoint Jesus' body. Judas is going to get angry. Jesus is going to see my heart. And he's going to say, what this woman hath done, wherever the gospel is preached, it will be told about her. Do you think she thought that? In other words, people, she, she never saw she could not see the return on the investment. All she, she could not control the return on the investment. All she could control was that moment in time, that opportunity to do something for Christ. And look at the result. Here we are almost 2,000 years later. Still talking about what she did. And you know what I believe with all of my heart? I believe that wherever the gospel has gone, what this woman did in that occasion has been told about wherever the gospel has been preached. Well, Brother Angel, why would you believe that? Because he said it would happen. And we could probably take every preacher in this room tonight, say, have you ever preached on, on Mary of Bethany? You ever preached when she anointed the body? You probably could go to missionaries on foreign fields. Go, go the 10,000 miles from Bourbonnais, Illinois, to Antananarivo, uh, Madagascar, where our son and his wife and their children labor. Brother Ogde, ask Ben if he's ever preached on Mary of Bethany. And I'll promise you, he's preached on Mary of Bethany sometime in these last 11 years. And wherever the gospel is go, wherever the, I'll tell you what, there's been more sermons preached about Mary of Bethany than there have been Judas Iscariot, I'll tell you that much. And folks, listen. 
The same is true about you and me. We cannot determine the return on any investment we make for Christ. What we can do is seize the opportunity. There are points in time that we will not always have. We have once. My wife and I had the privilege of going to Boston, Massachusetts. Standing on the spot on the sidewalk where, why does his name slip my mind? Help me. No, no, no. Uh, Ed Kimball. Ed Kimball, there it is. I got you. You got, you got me. Ed Kimball. Ed Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in a, in a church. And, and on a previous Sunday, an 18-year-old boy had sat in his class, lost. And an 18-year-old boy worked at a shoe store in Boston. And so Ed Kimball went down to Boston and was walking along that sidewalk, back and forth, pacing in front of that shoe store, trying to work up enough courage to talk to that 18-year-old boy about Christ. And he finally went inside, pulled him outside to the sidewalk there, talked with him a little bit, and began to share the gospel with him. And that 18-year-old boy got saved. I don't think Ed Kimball was thinking to himself, I'm going to go in. And I'm going to get Dwight Moody, bring him out here to the sidewalk, lead him to Christ, and he's going to take America in one hand and England in the other and bring both continents closer, to, both countries closer to Christ. And he's going to start a school in Northampton, uh, Northville, Massachusetts. And he's going to start a church in Chicago. And he's going to take wagons drawn by horses to pick up boys and girls to come for Sunday school and offer them a suit if they come so many weeks faithfully. Read it. Read it. The bus ministry and promotion didn't begin with Charles Billington out, Charles out, out Dallas Billington out in Ohio, wherever. D.L. Moody took horse-drawn wagons through the streets of Chicago and picked up those boys and girls, brought them to Sunday school. People complain about the, the oil spots that our buses leave in the parking lot. I wonder what those horses left in the parking lot. Amen. <laughs> People, do you know what Ed Kimball was doing? Here was a moment in time. Would he have this opportunity tomorrow? Would he have it next week? Would he have it next month? Here it is. He seized it. He did it for Christ's sake. Look at the return on that investment. Little white board church out in the country a ways from Louisville, Kentucky. Daisy Hall has taught a Sunday school class. Had some teenage boys and girls in that Sunday school class, and one of the, some of the boys actually cut up, and she had to call them down. And the next Sunday, she was afraid that they wouldn't come back, and some of them didn't. But one of those teenage boys returned, and she sat down with Lee and talked to him about Christ, and Lee got saved. I don't think when Daisy Hawes talked to Lee about Christ that she thought, you know, I'm going to lead... Lee to Jesus and Lee, God is going to call Lee to preach and Lee is going to pastor for a little while 
near Louisville, and then he's going to move to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and take Highland Park Baptist Church and start Tennessee Temple University and send preacher boys and missionaries all over the world for 42 years. Daisy Hawes didn't see that. Daisy Hawes saw a teenage boy who needed Christ. And she invested, she took the opportunity, seized it. Look at the return. And people, there, there are more current illustrations of the same thing happening for God's people now. You and I cannot know the return on the investment. The thing that we need to do is keep seizing the opportunity. Amen. See, I was walking through a parking lot of an apartment complex one day. This is some years ago. And I was, I'm, go, I'm going to the second floor of the apartment complex to make a visit for the bus. I've got the new guy with me, training him for the bus ministry. And we're going through the parking lot, and here's this broken down pickup truck, and the hood is up, and this skinny young man leaned over the hood. He's got uh, grease up to both elbows, working away. And I just, I just, in passing by, I said, hey, I see you're busy working on the truck, and I'm going to put this right here, and I hope that after you get done, you'll take this and read it. It's a gospel track, tell you how to go to heaven someday. Okay, thank you, sir. I said, Lord bless you. He kept walking. Made the visit upstairs. Came back by. I said, God bless you, buddy. Hope you read that. Okay, sir. That was Saturday morning. Sunday evening, I was sitting in the old office, which I don't have to do time to go into. It had an exterior door, an egress, and, and, uh, and windows in it. And I'm just about ready to wrap it up and go over to the church house for the, for the, for the preaching service. And a, and a vehicle pulls up. And a young man gets out, and I can't see him real clearly. He walks up, and he knocks on the door. And I, come in. And the door cracked open, and this skinny fellow stuck his head in. And he, he said, uh, yeah, you're the one that gave me this yesterday, right? I said, yeah, you're the fellow working on the truck. He said, yes, sir. I said, come in. He said, you know, I did read this last night, and I need to come over here and talk to you about what it says. And I had the opportunity to lead Jimmy Bakes to Christ that night. Oh, his wife, Missy, got saved. Their two kids got saved. His brother got saved. His Stan, his brother Stan's wife, got saved. I don't know how many of them got saved, baptized, came to our church until they left for Tennessee or Kentucky some, some years later. He said, oh, what a great, great soul winner. You've got to be kidding me. Great soul winner, nothing. All I did was leave a track on the engine block. And say, read that, Can, when you get some time, that's all I did. But it, what, what was it, folks? It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity. I said, I've been passing out tracks for years, and I, I never had any success. You have no idea. You, you, Bob Ross had the teenagers from Windsor Hills, north of Oklahoma City, one day passing out tracks. In a Kmart parking lot, Brother Hogg, they're putting tracks in, under the windshield wipers. A fellow came out to his car, saw the track, opened, got in the car, threw it over his shoulder in the back seat of his car. He was a bachelor, young man, young adult man. Sometime later, he's cleaning out his car on a Saturday afternoon. You know what the back seat <laughs> bachelor's cars look like, you know, for the most part. Trash everywhere, McDonald's wrappers and all that stuff. And so he comes across that track, sits down and reads that gospel track and trusts Christ as his Savior. 
And then says, I'm going to go to that church because the church's address was on there in Oklahoma City, Northwest 23rd Street. Next morning, showed up, walked forward at the invitation, had that tract in his hand, told Joe Finn, I prayed yesterday to ask the Lord Jesus into my heart and save me. Now, what do I do? And Joe asked him, he said, yeah, he said, I found this in my car, in my car. And he said, some months ago, I threw it in my back seat and I got saved. He said, well, you need to get baptized. So he got baptized and he joined the church. And Sean Lunday is now the BIMI field director in Brazil, has been there 20 something, I mean, 20, maybe 30 years, built a tremendous work. I mean, he's the BIMI. No idea. Who put that track? On his window. Can you imagine? <laughs> how, many, you know, how many teenagers went that day to distribute tracts? One of those kids, when, when it's all said and done, up in glory. And the Lord says, uh, will so-and-so please come forward? And Sean Lundy, will you come forward? Sean, this is the young man. This is the young lady that put that track on your door, on your window. And by the way, young man, young lady, all those souls down in in Brazil that are saved then, they're all fruit credited to your account. <laughs> cha-ching, cha-ching. Bro, Jack, how much material you given down there in Mexico, brother? All these years? Glory to God. You can't see the return on that. But you're seizing the opportunity. Just seizing the opportunity. Just... I, I had the privilege of preaching a couple of years ago for Don Ball in Lebanon, Missouri. Not too far from Fort Leonard Wood. And they have a ministry. They had it while Hal, Hal Hightower was there. And before Hal Hightower, they have a ministry to Fort Leonard Wood. And they take buses to Fort Leonard Wood. They have a Sunday morning service. And then two or three buses, depending on the sign up, they go to Fort Leonard Wood. And those, those new recruits into the army coming through Fort Leonard Wood for six, eight weeks, whatever it is, they have one weekend free. And they try to get them to come to church on that one weekend. I got to preach to 90-something army ladies and men and women. 90-something. And Brother Ball told me, he said, now you preach, preach for an hour. He said, they're soldiers, they'll listen. And he said, man, you get them lost, 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 and give them the gospel at the end. He said, you won't believe what God does. And so I did. Had a time. Gave the invitation. If you're not saved, 60-something hands went up in the air. I said, look up at me. 60-something faces looked up at me. I said, if you're not saved and you want to be saved tonight, come for all the people standing up front with their New Testaments and Bibles. And six, I think it was 62 walked forward, 48 trusted Christ that night as Savior. They have had Sunday, after, Sunday evening services with 900 army people. And the, they, they bought a bowling alley, a bowling alley in Lebanon. They own it. And the soldiers go over there and they bowl and they got TV screens up where they can watch football or whatever's in season. And they got, a, I pulled up and here's these soldiers swinging on a swing set. <laughs> but when you've been getting barked at by a drill sergeant for <laughs> how many weeks, you're probably happy to have a swing set. You know how that started? Early 1970s. 
A man who had been in the army and had gotten out, still had a pass to the commissary at Fort Leonard Wood, took his 15-year-old son and went down there on a Saturday afternoon to go to the commissary. And the 15-year-old boy saw those soldiers with cases of beer, men and women, going off to motels. And he said, Daddy, isn't there something we could do to reach these soldiers? And he said, Son, talk to Pastor about it. And he did. And a couple weeks later, they took a bus down there and picked up six soldiers. They do that 51 weekends a year since 1971 or 72. A 15-year-old boy. And I preached there in 2019 and it's still going. How many years is that? You think that 15-year-old saw that? He saw an opportunity. Just an opportunity. We're, you know, we're, we're, we don't exercise the opportunity because we feel like, yeah, we can't get 300, so let's not do it. If you get one... There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Seize the opportunity. You say, you know, I just, I, I, I just, I, I don't have any stories. I don't have any stories like that. I've been trying to serve God this way. But you don't know yet, folks. This thing's not over. You know, I was invited to preach at a, at a camp, teenage camp. And it, 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 good people. I just, you know, you, you kind of fit certain places better than others. And it just, it, it's a great place. I, I, really, nothing wrong with it. I'm not critical at all. I just, I, just, I just didn't gel. And so on Wednesday night, they take all the teenagers and go to this good, this great big church that owns the camp. And, and it's full, you know. And man, I'm up there preaching. I remember the message, no man to care. And when I gave the invitation, one person came forward. It was the pastor. And I think he only came forward because he felt sorry for me. It was, it was, do you ever lay an egg? Brother Ogde, you preachers know what I'm talking about? Brother Browns used to talk about laying an egg, laying an egg big enough to hatch twin dinosaurs out of it. I, man, I tell you what, I was embarrassed. And Lord, my goodness, I'm sorry. And next day, I told the girls that were with me, Abby and Cherith, I said, y'all load the car up after the evening service. We're going to hit the road and head back home and we did, and I went home and forgot about it. Years, and I'm not exaggerating. I mean, I don't know how many years. More than I can remember. And I'm going to go down to Park Meadows Baptist Church in Lincoln for a youth rally on a Saturday, and I get this letter in the mail from down in southern Illinois near the Missouri state line. Dear Brother Angel, I'm looking forward to bringing our teenagers over to hear you preach next week. I'm excited about them hearing you and uh, so forth so on, I was called to preach under your preaching at such and such Baptist camp, at such and such Baptist church on Wednesday night when you preached no man to care. The egg? <laughs> and I'm not kidding, I'm not embellishing this. God's listening now years again. Evangelist Chris Dallas comes through. 
I didn't know him very well. I met him up at Northwest. We were kind of just fell, just, you know, just getting to know each other. And he said, well, Brother Angel, we have some mutual friends. I said, well, who is that, brother? He said, well, like my, my youth pastor down in North Carolina at Brother Rogers Church. And I said, well, what's his name? He said, well, so-and-so. I said, well, I don't know him. He said, well, he knows you. He's called to preach under your preaching. It was a such-such Baptist camp on Wednesday night. You preached the message, no man to care. The egg? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Folks, you don't know. You don't, this thing's not over. And it's not, you're not going to know until you get to heaven. But I will promise you, those of you who are actively looking for that moment in time, that opportunity to do something for Jesus, there more than likely will be a return that you have no idea about. No idea. Now, I could, I could keep going. Electrician in Philadelphia lives in a two-flat Catholic, beer-drinking, cussing Catholic. Married, 11 children, seven boys, four girls. His name is Marcus. He has a brother named Keith. Keith gets saved. Keith comes over, sits down at his brother's table and tries to talk to Marcus and his wife about Christ. No. We're good. Years passed. Eleven kids. They're having a little trouble. Marcus's wife goes over to Keith's house and says, Keith, we're having some difficulty. Could you come back over and just visit with us a little bit again? So Keith goes over and he sits down with his brother again and his wife and spends some time in the Word of God. And Marcus and his wife get on their knees and trust Christ as their Savior. I don't think Keith saw that when Marcus and his wife, his brother and his sister-in-law got saved, four of those seven boys would be called into full-time ministry later. One of them pastors the church in Philly where the parents attended, Kevin. One of them works as an assistant pastor for Mark O'Donnell in, in Akron, Ohio, Steve. One of them is the co-pastor at Northwest in Elgin who will soon someday be the pastor, Phil. One of those is married to my third daughter. And they're serving in the church in Walls, Mississippi as assistant pastor, wife, youth director, and so forth. You got three boys. That oldest boy's name is Marcus Terry. I don't think Keith, I don't think Keith saw all that. He just saw an opportunity. I got this opportunity tonight. Will I have it tomorrow? Well, I have it next week. He seized it. I don't know all you preachers real well, but Brother Ogden's been at this longer than I have. But for Joyce and I, it's been 
40 years of ministry. I haven't seen as much as much as return as I would like to have seen. But I've seen enough that I think I'll just keep wasting away. I think I'll just keep wasting away. Do it for him. It all belongs to him anyway. Do it for his honor and his glory. He sees the motive. Oh, I can't stand here tonight and tell you that I've always done everything with the right motive. But I'm like a lot of you. I don't love the Lord like I ought to. Who can? You preached on, do you love Jesus Sunday morning, I heard. But to some degree, we love him. And what we try to do, we do for him. him. And he never misses that church. Every diaper you change. Every lesson you teach, every person you greet, every strip of grass that you mow, every song you play, you do it for him. He sees it. And someday, someday, we'll all know the return on the investment. So my advice to you tonight, just keep wasting away. And when they tell you you're wasting your time, your life, your money, just walk away saying, Lord, I know it's all yours. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.